Welcome to the Profit Cast. I'm the coach, Levi Landrigan. And I'm the player, Luke McCark. And we're here to bring you our unique perspective on local, college, and pro sports. So join us as we dive into the headlines and stories that you need to know. Well, we're back to discuss another phenomenal week of football. We had two more incredible games to watch, and they did not disappoint. Luke, why don't you tell us what you saw in the Cincinnati Bengals-Kansas City Chiefs overtime thriller? So you're wondering what else this postseason can give us. It's just been phenomenal the whole time, and I ceased to wonder what the Super Bowl is going to be like with all this crazy postseason leading up to it. But let's talk about this game. This one didn't really look like it would be close from the start. The Chiefs had a great first half. Bengals were reeling until the Chiefs had the ball at the one-yard line with nine seconds and no timeouts. So first play... Mahomes rolls out, nothing's there, he throws it away. That play took five seconds, so now they have four seconds. Ball at the one, no timeouts. Mahomes says, I got it, I'll score a touchdown on this play. And you believe him, because you've seen all the crazy plays they've dialed up, throwing it to the linemen, the crazy shovel passes to Kelsey. But what they do is throw a swing pass inbounds to Tyreek Hill. He does not get there. And if if you're Mahomes there, the throw's got to be into the end zone. You don't see him make that many mistakes, but that's one where it has to be a really, really fast throw to the end zone. If nothing's there, you throw it away, you kick a field goal. Or, honestly, their fullback, something like 9 for 9 uh, with one yard to get or something, just hand it off to him, take the risk if you're not going to get it anyways. But that really changed the game for the Bengals. They blanked the Chiefs all the way up to the end of the fourth quarter, scored 11 points, Burrow played great, and Trey Hendrickson played phenomenally the whole game. And there was this one play where he chased down Mahomes there. So the game, the Bengals are leading here by three. Chiefs need a field goal to tie it, and if they score a touchdown, they're pretty much winning. Trey Hendrickson chases down Mahomes from across the field and gets him out of bounds to save the first down, and the Chiefs went on to have to score a field goal. Hendrickson had all kinds of plays like that. And Patrick Mahomes is not... uh is not a statue back there when he drops in the pocket. He's one of the most slippery and elusive guys when you're trying to get him on a pass rush. He he actually has a higher completion percentage when he gets blitzed. So he really knows what to do when people are running at him. But but you're right. Hendrickson got to him, and um, they the Bengals were able to put really good pressure on him. Going into this game, uh, we, thought, we knew that... Joe Burrows and the Bengals allowed a lot of sacks to happen in the in the last playoff games, but Patrick Mahomes was actually sacked more times than Joe Burrow in this game. Yeah, the offensive line finally got it figured out a little bit with the Bengals. But and, any- Joe, and Joe got himself out of some sticky situations too. He he did some some 
clever maneuvering back there in the pocket as well. Yeah, on the drive that they got the field goal in the fourth quarter, he saved the game a couple times for them. He scrambled for a couple first downs. And uh, back to where we are in the plot of the game, Chiefs had to kick a field goal with a couple seconds, sent it to overtime. Chiefs couldn't come up with it. That's where we're talking about the Bills. Chiefs uh, didn't get it like they did against the Bills, so that's the argument of the overtime rules are fine. And then the Bengals got the ball. Joe Mixon had a great run, got him into field goal range. Evan McPherson with an Evan McPherson with another game winner. Yeah, it was it was really good, and it was what Luke and I talked about here on this podcast. So. First of all, for overtime, we the, the Chiefs kicked a field goal to get it to overtime and then won the coin toss. And when I saw that, I, like many other people, said, it's over. Figuring that Patrick Mahomes with the ball in overtime is is as good as a lock, but, but it really wasn't. And even going back before that, I think something that Kansas City did that missed on this game, Luke alluded to it, but the way you end the first half, they had the ball in a great position to score. And if they would have, they'd have gone up. 31 to 10. That would have been an almost impossible deficit to overcome the way that this game was playing out. But you you got to play well at the end of the first half uh, at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. Uh, that's known as the middle eight, the first four minutes of the f- second half and the last four minutes of the second half. That's where you can get two possessions. That's where one team can really take an edge. And in a back-and-forth game with two high-powered offense, you have to win the middle eight. And the Chiefs did not in this game. The other thing that I want to talk about with this game is just how, like like we had talked about in our last podcast, um, if, if you remember, I correctly picked the Bengals. Uh, so we're just going to talk about that real quick but i correctly cheered for the Bengals. yes it they they did what i said they had to do i said the only way that they could beat the chiefs is is if they took their three best players out of the game and and when this game ultimately was decided patrick mahomes threw an interception in overtime because they had bracketed tyreek hill now he's a fast guy and and the guy that caught the interception was actually just in the right place at the right time because it was someone else that was covering Tyreek Hill that tipped it to him for that very momentous game-changing interception for the Bengals. But if they hadn't if they didn't have two guys on Tyreek Hill, if you don't double Tyreek Hill, you're not going to win that situation. Yeah. Bengals also have two great safeties back there. Von Bell and Jesse Bates are mm-hmm. very talented. Bengals have sneaky good defense overall. They do. It'll be really, really interesting to see how the Bengals, only their second time ever going to the Super Bowl, it'll be interesting to see how they do against the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams finally ended the drought of six consecutive losses to the San Francisco 49ers, and they found a way to beat them. And it was, yet again, a late-game Matt Stafford-Cooper Cup connection to make it happen for the Rams. When they, I mean, it's it's kind of like basketball. When you need a bucket, you turn to the guy who gets it for you. And when the Rams need something done and late in the game, they, they throw the ball up and Cooper Cup comes down with it in the right place. Yeah, and... uh 
spoiler alert, I will be talking about both Cooper Cup and the 49ers as a whole later on in this episode. But it's crazy. Cooper Cup, seriously, I he there's a reason he's candidate for the MVP because he's the X factor when he's on the field. If you double him, you win the game. If you don't double him and you leave him wide open 20 yards down the field, one-on-one against the safety because he blitzed the corner, then they score a touchdown. Uh, not that I would have any experience with that. <laughs> but <laughs> that's kind of what happens when you need a play. You give it to Cooper Cup, and he wins the game for you. And they had a, they had a chance, but the – San Francisco 49ers line was not able to hold up at the end. And Jimmy G, I wouldn't quite say it's a classic Jimmy G play because he was right to try to get rid of it because it was like they couldn't afford a sack there. They just couldn't. Uh, Trying to shovel it, but he shovels it way over the running back's head. The running back tips it, and it's intercepted. So... That was a bummer for the storied 49ers playoff run. It it really was a good run, but yes, yes, their line kind of fell apart, but you have to give credit where credit is due. And that, that Los Angeles Rams defensive front is They're pretty so special. special. They are yeah. really, really good. So that's um, not, not to... Not to cut this game short, but that's going to be ultimately the matchup that will be really fun to watch in the Super Bowl is Joe Burrow, who last week was only sacked once because he found a way out of those situations. His his line protected him a lot better. How are they going to do against arguably the best defensive front in all of football? Yeah, that's going to be what it is for me. Like... It's I've picked against Joe Burrow too many times, but that is going to be what's going to make it really hard to pick the Bengals in the Super Bowl is how good this Rams line is. And they are better than the Titans' offensive line by a ways, I would say. Not, not taking anything away from those big guys. They had a great game, but they don't have Aaron Donald. They don't have Von Miller. They have some great guys, but this Rams front is something else. All right, well, we're going to move on from some of those great playoff games into our postseason awards. We will find out about a lot of these awards in the upcoming weeks before the Super Bowl, but we are going to tell you some of our opinions on who should win what awards. So let's start with MVP. Currently, the the odds to win MVP is Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. He had a really phenomenal season. Lots of touchdowns, very few interceptions, very high completion rating, rating very high passer rating, 13 wins, 4 losses for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Second on the list is Tom Brady. One of his best seasons. He's the second most favored odds to win the award. We will talk about this a little bit more later. This is he is retiring. This was his last season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and it was a really really good season. However, the voting on this MVP award was completed before the playoffs. So while talking about Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and then Joe Burrow, we we have to keep in mind what they did during the regular season and not judge them based on their playoff performance 
exclusively. The other two non-quarterback players that are pretty high odds to win this award are Cooper Cup, the wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams, and Jonathan Taylor, the touchdown-scoring, high-yard-gaining running back for the Indianapolis Colts. So, Luke, who do you think is going to be MVP this year and why? So, it's so tough to exclude playoffs from this because I think you can't judge a person off of 16 of his 20 games, or I guess 17 now, because, um, quite frankly, they play 20% more games in the playoffs, so you're only judging them on 80% of their season uh, if they go to the Super Bowl. But even without playoffs, right now I'm going to probably say Cooper Cup because when you watch him, the defense has to pay so much attention to Cooper Cup and making sure that he doesn't catch the ball. And you saw that against the Buccaneers, again, in the playoff game where he was wide open down the field because they left him one-on-one that one time. Uh, So that's all it takes is you to leave him one-on-one one time and he burns you down the field. And he's just always open. And then when you commit too much to him, then it opens up Odell Beckham. It opens up Tyler Higby, Sony Michelle, Cam Akers. So that's why I think Cooper Cup should get this award. Yeah, it's not very common for this award to go to anyone that's not a quarterback. And one of the arguments for that is I heard someone say, well, the argument for that is, yes, Cooper Cup is valuable to his team. But if you went to Sean McVay, coach of the Rams, before the game and said you could have Cooper Cup or Matthew Stafford going into this game, who do you want? And and at the time, the announcer said, well, he obviously would pick Matthew Stafford, as great as Cooper Cup is. But like Luke just detailed for you, Cooper Cup is an incredible pass catcher. He's a, he's a really good threat, but he does. He completely changes the dynamic of your offense. He gets his teammates open. He requires a double team so I don't know between those two I at first when I heard it I thought that makes a lot of sense but now I'm kind of wondering especially again we're not supposed to include playoffs but just what we've seen and and recency bias may play a part in this but what we've seen recently with Cooper Cup is he completely changes the dynamic of their offense and I think right now going into the Super Bowl I don't know who the the Rams backup quarterback is but Cooper Cup is going to be somebody that they need to be on the field to just have their offense work in the dynamic way that it has been shredding through other defenses and secondaries this season. So I think that's a good argument for Cooper Cup. Now, me personally, at the end of the regular season, I thought I I, I was believing the rhetoric of of Aaron Rodgers for MVP. He had a phenomenal season. He had a great season last year and won MVP last year and arguably played better this year. The stuff he can do with the football, he is just such a phenomenal thrower of the football. And his team, he he didn't play one game. He was out with COVID protocol. And his team was drastically worse without him. They only scored seven points with their backup quarterback. And he just lifts the entire dynamic of the team and and yes he's an incredible thrower of the football but he has several rushing touchdowns this year as well and and really showed a a ferocity and a 
go get it attitude in in the stretch uh, in a middle stretch of probably 12 games there where he just had a killer instinct and they went on a couple of a couple of runs where they were winning several games in a row and Aaron Rodgers really lifted his team now when comparing him to the other two quarterbacks which if I had to put money on it I think it's going to go to Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady or Joe Burrow and it, it depends on how you define valuable with this with this award this this award is voted on so it's 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 objective there there's no rubric that you can really say oh this person deserves it because of this stat line it's opinion based so if you say valuable as far as best quarterback most pleasing to watch on tv best stat line least number of interceptions uh, that would probably have to go to Aaron Rodgers but if you if you said valuable as far as their team without them would not be where they're at that's a really strong argument for Joe Burrow because when you look at what the Bengals were in the two seasons or it, it, two seasons before before he was there they only won two games they were the worst team in the NFL last year he was injured for most of the season they didn't win very much without him and now they're in the Super Bowl. Again, we're not judging postseason with this, but but just what he was able to accomplish in a short amount of time. Uh, really remarkable for, for Joe Burrow. But the same could be said for Tom Brady. And the way that Tom Brady played this year at, at 44 years old is remarkable. However, if he was 24 years old or 34 years old and he put up that stat line, he would be in the argument for MVP. So the fact that we forget that he's the old guy out there, he just plays at such a high level, really changing the game of football. If I had a vote, I would probably go Tom Brady for NFL MVP. And that's what I'm going to say about that. It's, it's really interesting because... Like you said, you know, Tom Brady, if he gets hurt, like, can you think of what would what the world would say? Like, season's over, mm-hmm. you know, like, what would have happened if they got hurt? Yep. And I also think he is a great motivator of other people. People want to play with Tom Brady, and they want to win games because they know they're going to get 100%, 100% of the time from Mr. Tom Brady. And I don't know if I can say that about Aaron Rodgers. Levi and I have a lot of have had a lot of good conversations about this. But I like if I'm a player on the Packers, I don't know how I stay motivated if my quarterback is whining and complaining all the time about the front office, this that. In the meantime, he's making 10 times as much money than me. And when he gets and he's a great at throwing touchdown passes but then off the field like how how can you be motivated as a player when your quarterback is just whining all the time about everything yeah and that's and that's a really interesting thing too if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady both got hurt what would their teams look like I think that the Packers would be impacted more because even if he was hurt, 
Tom Brady would still be on the sidelines. He would still be giving his teammates instructions. He would still be, even though he couldn't contribute on the field, he would still be right there doing everything he could to compel his team to victory. So he transcends even his own physical play on the field. He is, he's just totally committed to the team. And when it comes to commitment level, nobody does more than Tom Brady. That's that's a stat that he far and away beats Aaron Rodgers in in commitment to team. You can't ask for more than what Tom Brady's given and his it's, team. It's really interesting to picture Aaron Rodgers on the New England Patriots. Like how long do you think that relationship would last twenty years with Bill Belichick? Oh no. It would probably last three. I, I don't I don't know that anybody would be able to be coached by Belichick for twenty years. Tom Brady should probably get a perseverance award for that (laughs) yeah but uh but they i mean they won a lot of games so winning winning is a pretty good medicine as well well oh boy it's time to talk about oh boy offensive (laughs) player of the year luke who do you got for your best offensive player in the nfl so this you know completely goes along with the mvp conversation uh um Whoever you choose for MVP, that's probably going to be the other guy who gets Offensive Player of the Year, although you can get both. And I don't know how you can be the most valuable player in the NFL if you're not the most valuable offensive player. Good point. But that's a discussion for a different day. Uh, So as Offensive Player of the Year, I'm going to choose Tom Brady, not just because he's a Buccaneer, but because of how valuable he is to the team and what would happen if he wasn't on the field. So the top two odds for winning this award, it's actually tied according to Vegas. Uh, it could go to Cooper Cup or Jonathan Taylor. Of course, it could also go to any of those quarterbacks that we mentioned in the previous segment. But Cooper Cup, we talked about how he just completely opened up the offense for them. Jonathan Taylor had really a remarkable regular season. Ran the ball so well and was such a valuable part of that Indianapolis Colts offense and and just everything that they were and everything that they accomplished this year seemed to go through him but offensive player of the year oh man i don't know if i had to pick i i would have to give it to cooper cup he won the triple crown which is is very very rare now what what the triple crown is it's receive is receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. And he led the NFL in all three of those categories. So he was statistically the best wide receiver in the league. And we're in a very, very reliant on the pass game era in the NFL where, where wide receivers are almost as valuable as quarterbacks. So he had an incredible statistical line, but he also as mentioned before, really opened up the dynamic of their offense in a very impressive way. So my pick for Offensive Player of the Year is Cooper Cup. However, Jonathan Taylor and Joe Burrow both had really phenomenal offensive seasons this year. Now, if I'm going to, if I am picking this off of what I think is going to happen, I think it'll go Aaron Rodgers MVP, Cooper Cup Offensive Player of the Year. But what I think should happen is Cooper Cup, Tom Brady. Yeah, good good distinction there. 
So let's go from offense to defense. Uh, some of the highest odds, TJ Watt from Pittsburgh is the is the highest, most likely to win. Micah Parsons from Dallas is next, and then Aaron Donald and Miles Garrett would be after that. So some really good, when you look at other guys on this list, Trayvon Diggs, Robert Quinn, Nick Bosa, some, some really special defensive players. Uh, Darius Leonard from Indianapolis, he was a turnover machine. He just made everybody fumble, and he got a lot of interceptions. It just seemed like he always found a way to get the ball, as did Trayvon Diggs from Dallas. So those two guys kind of stand out to me a little bit. But but when you talk about defensive player of the year, I would I would give it to Aaron Don- Aaron Donald and not just because of their great playoff run, but he is a very dynamic game changer. Even before they had Von Miller, he would consistently give his team an edge. I think him and Miles Garrett are two of the best defensive linemen in the league. And and I think I think Aaron Donald is just a little bit more disciplined and a little bit better of a defensive player even than Miles Garrett. Who Miles Garrett is phenomenal. So I no. those would be my one and two, Aaron Donald and Miles Garrett. That's, for for just best defensive player of this year that of what I saw. And I'm kind of really surprised by the odds here and by what you're saying because uh TJ's minus 350 and then Micah Parsons is ahead of Aaron Donald yeah if I'm cutting through the garbage here I this whole time I've been thinking it's TJ Water Aaron Donald nobody else has a chance it's TJ Water Aaron Donald you got to yeah and what TJ Watt did this year he had 22 and a half sacks and he actually played less games than Michael Strahan just throw that out there too so it's not the whole 17 game thing so NFL sack record season, and it's both of these had similar weapons that helped them get sacks. Aaron Donald had Von Miller off the edge, helping him out, and also on the other side, he had a pretty darn good guy. Um, and T.J. Watt had Cameron Hayward in the middle, so. I think another thing to keep in mind when you're looking at these is who did they play against? Aaron Donald plays for the LA Rams, and that is in the NFC West, which is arguably the most competitive division in football. So if he's getting a sack, he has to do it against Kyler Murray, who is slippery, more slippery than a fish. He has to try to try to find Jimmy Garoppolo, who can be really you know, sometimes really on fire, sometimes makes mistakes, but still a hard quarterback to play against. And and the other one is Russell Wilson, who is arguably one of the hardest guys to get a sack from. So the fact that he's playing those three quarterbacks twice in a season is really phenomenal with what he's able to accomplish. And the same could be said for Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. They are in the AFC North, and that is a very, very competitive division with with some great quarterbacks, very difficult to tackle quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson. So the fact that those guys could play that well against some of the – well, and, and Joe Burrow's in that division too. So the fact that they could play that well against those really, really tough division opponents. And then you look at Dallas. They are in – the NFC East and they play Philadelphia, Washington and the New York Giants. 
So it's just a little bit easier for them to accumulate stats and and look like a really good defense because the offensive units that they play against just are weaker than the ones in the AFC North and the NFC West. Yeah, Micah Parsons, is he the best rookie on the defensive end? By far, absolutely no debate. But I would not put him on the same level as Watt and Donald. Those two are the best. I wish I could find a good stat on double team percentage. Hmm. That's very interesting because Aaron Donald gets double teamed something crazy like 70% of the time. Yeah. And that is just ridiculous. Yeah. So really, really fun defensive players that we got to watch. Um, It'll be interesting to see who comes up with this award. Moving on to our next category, it's Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year. On offense, it's Jamar Chase. On defense, it's Micah Parsons. Moving on. All right, so rounding out the awards, you have Comeback Player of the Year. I think that that should go to Joe Burrow. After the not just the injury that he had, but all that he's been able to overcome with unimpressive offensive line play and a a young coach and a franchise that has just really not seen a lot of success. Everything that he has been able to overcome, I think Joe Burrow absolutely deserves comeback player of the year. Yeah, I feel bad for Nick Bosa because pretty much any year, excluding Alex Smith, phenomenal, and, you know, Joe Burrow. Like, Nick Bosa's team without him got a top five pick. Nick Bosa's team with him made it to the NFC Championship game. So that's that's very interesting. Nick Bosa could win it any year, but this year it's got to be Joe Burrow. How bad they were without him and then how good they were with him. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And then talking about turning the tides of teams, let's take a quick look at Coach of the Year. Who do you think this is going to be, Luke? So staying on the Bengals bandwagon, choo-choo, uh... I think it's got to be Zach Taylor. I was thinking Vrabel all year uh, just because Vrabel did an amazing job without Derrick Henry and being able to secure the one seed in the AFC, even without the King, uh, is pretty remarkable. And this is another thing that you've got to consider postseason, but I believe these are also voted on before the postseason. Mm-hmm. But Zach Taylor beat the Titans. And I think I think if they're voting before the postseason, it's going to be Vrabel. But you've got to consider playoffs. You've got to, got to, got to. With Zach Taylor brought his team all the way to the Super Bowl, despite having a lackluster offensive line. It's crazy. And what they were like last year and the year before that, Two years ago, they had the number one overall pick. And then a year ago, they had top 10 pick. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at some of these names at the top of the list. Zach Taylor, Mike Vrabel, Kyle Shanahan really did a phenomenal job with the 49ers this year. Sean McDermott uh, really did a good job. Cliff Kingsbury, we talked about that a little bit before. They really did not finish the season well, so... Completely disregarding the playoffs, I still think you would take Cliff Kingsbury out of that conversation. But 
of the, of those names and, and and some of those not even on there Mike Tomlin did a did a really really good job with a very poor quarterback play for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Sean Payton again he had five different quarterbacks and none of them played well this year and and he got his team inches away from the playoffs so Sean Payton did a really good job coaching this year so it's hard to just judge it based on who is who is remaining at this point. And I talked to Luke about that a little bit before. The reason why you don't count postseason in these awards is there's only one thing that matters in the postseason, and that's winning. And there's there's a trophy for the team that keeps winning in the postseason, but and that's no that's the Lombardi. Bowl. There's no Super Bowl MVP for coaches. Wouldn't you rather hold the Lombardi trophy than be the coach of the year? And arguably, if you're holding you if you're you if you're have. holding the Lombardi Trophy above your head, aren't you the best coach that year? That's the way the history books are going to remember you. So, as far as far as coach of the year in the regular season, I think it has to go to Mike Vrabel because of the way they they were able to win the AFC. Which, when it comes to regular season, they were arguably the best team in the AFC. That's half the division. They won half the division without their best player. That is some really impressive coaching by Mike Vrabel. And and I don't love game management really on any of these guys. I think they all could work on their in-game management. But Mike Vrabel definitely is winning in the player development area. What he is able to get out of his players is, is similar to what his coach, when he was a player, Bill Belichick, was able to draw out of some of his players. So those are the NFL regular season awards, but there is an even bigger and even more prestigious award that has never been handed out before, and that is the Profit Cast Best Storyline of the Year Award. Yes, so this is going to be if you've ever watched Good Morning Football and their Angry Run segment where they send the scepter to the angriest runner of the weekend, that's what this is going to be like. We're going to make up a nice little trophy that says Profit Cast Best Storyline of the Year. We're going to ship it off to whoever we think is deserving. So which storyline is the best of this year? And here's the thing, one other thing. We're not just going to hand this award out and pretend the pro season doesn't happen. We can't do that. And we're not even going to announce this award before the Super Bowl. We're going to make you wait. We're going to let these storylines completely play out to fruition. So after the Super Bowl, we will recap the season and we will give Storyline of the Year Award presented by the Profit Cast given to Stay Tuned. All right, well, moving from those fantastic awards and the great season that was to the time where we start looking ahead to next year and some of the moves that will impact teams the most, the quarterback position is the most important position of all of sports. So looking at what quarterbacks will possibly be moving around or which teams need to fill the biggest and most important vacancy on their team. Let's uh, let's take a look at some of these teams, Luke. So there are tons of teams who could possibly use a quarterback. 
But here I'm going to focus on seven teams that I believe are in, or excuse me, eight teams that I believe are in dire need of a quarterback. So first of all, I'm going to start with the Steelers. Um, with the retirement of Ben Roethlisberger, um, internally, what they have to replace them is Hassan Haskins and Mason Rudolph. Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins. Hassan Haskins is a running back for the Michigan Wolverines, who I may talk about in our draft. Is he going to be quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers next year? Most likely not. <laughs> I don't even know if he's going to be declared for the draft. And if he does, I don't know if he'll be drafted. But we are talking about Dwayne Haskins. Moving on from him, the Texans with Deshaun Watson on the move. Um, they have Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor to replace the, him. Broncos, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. They could just try to roll with those guys if they want to, but I don't know if they can afford another losing season so not with a new gm yes that will want to leave his fingerprints on the organization the washington commanders Ooh! shout out to them getting a new name finally so who's going to be commanding the commanders so taylor heineke and ryan fitzpatrick don't know if he's going to retire or not i'm not sure if be playing next year i wouldn't be surprised if he does retire anyways one of my favorite quarterbacks in the nfl former buccaneer fitz magic uh maybe he'll come back to tampa maybe <laughs> that would be amazing that would be interesting he is the most piratey of all quarterbacks yeah he belongs I've... with the buccaneers my backpack has a has him at one of his press conference. He wore one of Deshaun Jackson's outfits, and he's got his chest hair showing with his big beard. He's a pirate. So yeah, that's on that stickers on my backpack. Anyways, Fitzmagic, if you're listening to this podcast, love you. Why don't you come back to come back to Tampa? Do it. They yeah. need you. While you're doing it, might as well come on and get on this podcast with us too. We'll so, feature you anytime. Yes. Uh, we'll fit you in the long list of yeah, people yeah. just waiting. You can't just throw anybody in here. Yeah. But the Packers, talk about them. Yeah, so Bryce Love is the guy that they infamously drafted at the end of the Jordan first Love. round. Jordan Love, excuse me. Bryce Love is a different person. I'm getting names wrong several times. Here. That's all right. Jordan Love. Jordan Love, they drafted him in the first round, and that made Aaron Rodgers unhappy. So unhappy, he might find another team to play for next year. There's a lot of speculation. He might retire. He might try to go host Jeopardy. He might go back to Hawaii, grow his hair out, and play um, a little bit more ukulele because we've all been dying for that. We'll see what happens to the Packers, but if they only have Jordan Love, that, I think, still leaves a vacancy for the Packers. So the Buccaneers, they have Kyle Trask, and Blaine Gabbert is probably not going to be the starter. They drafted Kyle Trask in the second round. It's, I don't, it's such a weird thing. Did he play this year at all? Uh, 
at the end of a couple games in how, garbage time. How did you feel about his performance? Because I thought by watching him at Florida, I thought Kyle Trask was a pretty good quarterback. And I thought sitting behind Tom Brady for a year, you really can't get better quarterback tutorage than what Kyle Trask received. So what's your opinion on him right now so as yeah. a Bucks fan? So yeah, I really liked Kyle Dr- Trask coming out of the draft. Um I do my big analysis on the draft every year, but uh um in the in the preseason, he didn't look bad. He looked like a backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. I I will say that, but whole season has passed. I don't know. I maybe trust him down the line, but there's a Super Bowl quality team right now in Tampa Bay, even with JPP probably retiring, Gronk probably retiring, Tom Brady retired. Long list of people they have to replace, but that's why they drafted Joe Tryon, Shoyinka. He should be able to fill Pierre Paul's shoes pretty well. Um, but anyways, uh, that's kind of my two cents, but drafting a quarterback in the second round is so weird because you draft him and when you're thinking about him and doing your analysis, even if you think he's the best quarterback on the board, I had him as the fifth quarterback on the board last year, even ahead of Mr. Trey Lance, who I was very low on, but (laughs) uh, probably too low. Just his stats didn't speak my language. Anyways, uh, I it's so weird because if you trust him, do you really trust him to fill Tom Brady's role and do you think he's going to bring you to a Super Bowl? If you don't think you, he can bring you to a Super Bowl, you have to get in a guy ASAP. So that's an interesting situation with Trask. Anyway, Panthers... In division of the Buccaneers, Cam Newton, Sam Darnold could try to roll with them again, Sam Darnold, but I I would not personally if I was Matt Rule. I think if Matt Rule wants to keep his job, he's got to find somebody else to play quarterback. And Seahawks, Russell Wilson, we'll see. I think he probably wants out. I think he's been hanging out with Aaron Rodgers too much. Both, <laughs> both of those guys, uh, they're two of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL, but they're and they're and they're great. But they both have one Super Bowl ring, and they both want to have more of a say in their organization. Now, when it comes to quarterbacks having a say in their organization, Tom Brady did some pretty unconventional things in Tampa Bay, but he had won six Super Bowls before that had happened. So. Both of those guys are five Super Bowls short of being even on his level. So is it fair for them to want to have a say in their team? When you just look at the employee side of it, I totally get where they're coming from. You you want to have a say in who you're throwing the ball to. You want to you want to have protection. You want to have a good team around you and be competitive. But at the end of the day, you're not the GM. You're the quarterback. So there's definitely something to be said about that. But I think that's part of the reason why Russell is is unhappy. I think there's a little bit of friction between him and his 70-year-old defensive-minded coach, Pete Carroll. Um, but that's that's the story of the Seahawks. It's interesting. 
And there are several other teams that might want another quarterback. Um, I don't. I think all of those teams that I have listed will probably roll with what they have, except maybe the Lions. But I still think they'll stick with Jared Goff. So here's the thing: those teams you got there—the Dolphins, the Jets, the Browns, the Colts, the Eagles, the Giants, the Lions, the Saints, the Falcons, the Vikings. I think the Saints definitely need to address quarterback play. Uh, we'll we'll see how how healthy Jameis is. If he would have been healthy all year, I think they would have made the playoffs. I think they would have done a lot better. But they need to figure something out. And they have a new coach, so it's going to be really hard to replace a legendary coach in Sean Payton. This might be a good time for a for a general overhaul of the quarterback room for the Saints. We'll see what happens there. Um, but but I think with those teams, I would actually add the New England Patriots to that list. I think Mac Jones played really well. But if you're in the same division as Josh Allen, Josh Allen then if you watched any playoff games this year, you don't think you don't think Mac Jones is a great quarterback anymore. I, you, I, you don't you don't think that Tua is good enough to get it done. If you're watching the elite level that those guys play, you got to figure something else out. And I think especially the Patriots because Bill Belichick is also 70 years old. He's got to be thinking, am, am I able to put in the work to build a team around Mac Jones for the next six years and hopefully the chips fall right in one of those six years that we can get a run together with an absolutely smash mouth elite defense in order to have a chance to win a conference championship game but if you have one of those elite quarterbacks that's a game changer the the game favors josh allen patrick mahomes joe burrow matthew stafford those are some of the best quarterbacks out there and that's why those are some of the last guys playing football this year i don't think there's a chance in heck that the Patriots are going to get a new quarterback. There's absolutely no way they're going to punt on Mac Jones because he was the best rookie quarterback this year. He was. And you are not going to punt on who was probably the third best rookie on the offensive end this year if it wasn't for Jamar Chase having a historical season and Najee Harris also had a very, very good season that could have won uh, Opoy every year. <laughs> it doesn't roll off my tongue as well. I, I, do but, like, I do like Mac Jones, and I thought the Patriots were much better this year than they were last year. And we'll see. We might be in for a big surprise. Quarterbacks very frequently play much better in their second year than their rookie year. And, and so, so I could be wrong, but... I think it's going to be really hard to face Josh Allen twice a year and just hope beyond hope that there is a Nor'Eastern in one of those two games and that the wind is enough of a factor to make it competitive. Because if not, look at what they did in the in at the end of the year, how the Bills just absolutely destroyed the Patriots in the first round of the playoffs. Josh Allen just eviscerated Bill Belichick's defense. And it was a good defensive unit this year, but he was almost flawless. And if you don't have a quarterback like that, you're getting lapped in a track meet. Yes. I will say the 
a huge, huge, huge factor that goes into all of these conversations is how small the quarterback market is this year. That's true. So you've got the three guys that are in free agency slash on the trade block, Sean Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. And if Aaron Rodgers retires, that becomes two guys in the free agent market slash trade block that are available. And in the draft, uh, just my first take on this quarterback's class, I'm only trusting two of those guys with my franchise, and that's Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral. I, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell are usually the next three on most boards. They're not the next three on my board. I haven't completely figured that out, but I know it's not those three. So that that is a big thing that plays into these. Um, uh, so there's ultimately only like five players that can fill eight teams that really need a quarterback. Yes, there, there will be a lack of solid quarterback play next year, I'm sure. However, there, there are those three big free agency moves. There could be a trade. There could be something that surprises us. Um, and speaking of surprises, call me crazy, but I don't think it is absolutely 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've seen the last of Tom Brady. Now, he said he's retired, and he is he is retiring, and he might even sit out for all of this year. But he was playing at an MVP caliber level. There's a lot of guys that have retired and thought, yeah, this is great. And then two or three weeks into it, they're like, mm, maybe this isn't so great. If, if Tom- so there's, I, I don't think it'll happen. I think he's done. I think he's he's fully invested into many other different things. I, I think we have seen the last of Tom Brady playing football on a football field. But if he decided that he would come back, any of those teams we just talked about would be fools to not sign him tomorrow. Yes, I that is very true. And if Tom Brady's a single man, he's playing till he's 50. But he's not a single man. Right. He has a family. And he prioritizes his family. That is one thing that I love about Tom Brady is he's so invested into football, but when it comes down to it, he has other things that matter to him as well, such as his family. Yes, I think if he takes the same commitment that he has given to the game of football and gives that to his wife and his kids, then they are going to have a really good couple of years with their dad and and a really great rest of life with um, with their family, hopefully. So I wish the best for the Brady family. Um, we might as well. They've been asking for a while. I suppose we could find a time in our calendar to get them on the podcast if they wish. So um, Giselle, look at your calendar. Let me know what's going on and we'll see if we can squeeze you in when we got time. Any initial takes on the three biggest names on the market for rookies for next for, year? Uh, no free agents. Oh, no, for free agents. Okay. So I've, I, I would not be surprised if Aaron Rodgers went to Pittsburgh. Um, he's got a lot of respect for the program. He's got a lot of respect for the coach it's the AFC, so I think that uh, that Green Bay would would be all right getting him to the other division. So where if they saw him, it would only be in the Super Bowl. 
Um, I a lot of people think Denver would be a good landing spot for Aaron Rodgers. I think of those three, kind of common consensus is Aaron Rodgers is the top pick. I don't know how I feel about that. I think Aaron Rodgers is great, and he would do. I mean, if he was if he was playing for Pittsburgh this year with the coaching that Mike Tomlin did and the way their defense played, who knows? We we could see them possibly make a Super Bowl run. Um, we saw Peyton Manning go to Denver when they had a really good defense and and put together a, two Super Bowl runs. It would be similar if Aaron Rodgers went to Denver or Pittsburgh. Either of those teams you would have to think would be in contention. Now, Denver would have to go through all of the other teams in their division. Kansas City, Chargers, Raiders, all really... There, there's no easy games when you're the Denver Broncos. And they, yes, they have some good pieces and a good roster. They have a new GM. They have a new coach who has connections to Aaron Rodgers. It's Aaron Rodgers' current Green Bay, I think, quarterback's coach is is their new head coach in Denver. But there's still some dysfunction in that organization. Um, John Elway has been taking a step back, which is really good, but there's still a lot that Denver has to overcome. They They weren't quite as close to winning this year as the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And they were still quite a ways from being contenders next year. So as far as Russell, I I wouldn't be surprised if Russell winds up in Carolina or, or somewhere that's, you know, he could take a team that's on the, on the bottom end to maybe a first round playoff, but I don't really see him doing quite the same as, uh, as going on a Super Bowl run. And Deshaun Watson, I don't know. We haven't seen him play football for over a year. And and the last time he did, he only won four games with the Texans. He is a phenomenal quarterback. Watching him at Clemson and then watching him, it would be three years ago now, that when, when Houston made the playoffs, he's really good. He's a really talented football player. But when you're the quarterback, the off-the-field stuff matters too. So I'm not sure that I put a lot of stock in Deshaun Watson. He would be better than a lot of the a lot of the backups that we talked about. This is an interesting conversation to me because Russell Wilson is probably the guy that I would want to start my franchise with the most just because he's a sure thing. He is has a few for sure a um a, a few decent years ahead of him more than Aaron Rodgers. He is kind of starting to get to the peak of his career where he's going to start to play he, he's not going to play much better than this he's um he doesn't have that many more years left Deshaun Watson is really interesting cuz he's young and uh off the field stuff matters I don't think there's any conclusion on his case I um I'm not going to comment on that until I know if the allegations are true or not. But uh, ultimately, Deshaun Watson had good reason to sit out this year. I would still, there are a lot of people who would want to play in the NFL, even if it was for a Texans franchise that was decimated by Bill O'Brien. Um, but I, I, if I was Tex, or if I was, Sean Watson, I would still want to play the game I love. But ultimately, 
I don't know. It's pretty close between Wilson and Watson, who I would want to start my franchise with the most. Yeah, Watson is 26 years old. Uh, Russell Wilson is 33. So Russell easily could have a lot of good football ahead of him. If he plays like Tom Brady, you know, he could have 11 more years of great football in front of him. Aaron Rodgers is 38. So again, he could, he, and he was playing at such a high level. He could keep playing at a high level. He could easily be retired and done. So it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds with these quarterbacks. And it'll be interesting to see how some of the teams build around them. And there's there's lots of new coaches. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our next podcast. But the the, the league is going to look different next year. It, it changes every year, and that's what keeps it dynamic. That's what keeps it fun. That's what keeps uh, two years ago the worst team, Cincinnati Bengals, in a position where they can be in the Super Bowl this year. So we'll see where these quarterbacks move around. There could be somebody that's drafting pretty high this year that's at the bottom of the league that could be two years away from a Super Bowl run of their own. So stay tuned with the Profit Cast, and we'll keep you up to date as those transactions go and as those teams turn from losers into winners. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But remember, God made you special and and he he loves loves you very much. much. Bye. Keeping it on the hardwood, let's talk a little NBA action. Yeah, so we are in the All-Star break, so there's no games going on. Um, But we can talk about Steph Curry in the All-Star game. He scored 16 three-pointers. Uh, 48 points off of those, 50 in total, and it rightfully got him All-Star Game MVP. Yes, Steph Curry was the MVP, and along with his teammates LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo, their team won the All-Star Game 163-160. to So, clearly not a defensive battle, but All-Star Games never are. So... It kind of makes you wonder how the teams got stacked that way. A few years ago, the the league was going east versus west, and then that was rather one-sided, so they started having a draft with the top two players picking the teams. And that is how these two teams were split up this year. So that was kind of the highlights from the All-Star Weekend. They did recognize the 75 greatest NBA players of all time. They had Michael Jordan, of course, and many other legendary Hall of Famers in the building. So it was a special weekend of basketball in Cleveland. But as far as the NBA, we are a little over halfway through the regular season, and there's some some familiar faces on top, but also some new teams. Um, Chicago and Cleveland have both risen in the East. They are they are second and fourth, respectively. And neither team has been good in a while, so it's been kind of fun to see them rise with some young talent and, and uh, DeMar DeRozan getting a second light of fire on his career in Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of fun there. They've got an old veteran who's veteran who's uh, reviving his career, and some youngsters like Laurie Markkinen and Zach Levine. He's, he's a real stud. Um, uh, similar over there in Cleveland, they're led by Colin Sexton. And their big man Jared Allen is having a really good year as well. Um, in other teams in the East, I know that uh, Milwaukee is the defending champs. They're currently fifth, but they could easily make a run back into the finals when they're healthy. There were some recent moves. So Brooklyn was widely known as the all-star team with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. But 
They recently sent James Harden over to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons and a few other players as well. So it'll be interesting to see how those teams kind of reshake out. Kevin Durant is currently injured, and Kyrie Irving is currently unable to play home games because of COVID vaccine rules. It does, from the start, appear that Philadelphia won that trade with a big like Joel Embiid playing really really well this year and adding another score to his team with James Harden yeah, I think Embiid is really looking like he has a chance at MVP he averaging could, double double with about 28 points and 11 rebounds he could be MVP and champion this year they they got a lot of good pieces there in Philadelphia yeah other details of that trade on the surface it looks like it heavily favors the uh, 76ers but the Nets also got Andre Drummond, who is a really good rebounder, averages about 10 rebound, ten boards a game, and Seth Curry, who averages about 13 points a game, plus a first-round pick in the future. Yeah. So that's kind of where the East is breaking down. In the West, uh, Phoenix made a run for the championship last year and came up just short in the finals, but they are back again this year and really, really good. Golden State Warriors... Like we said, Steph Curry is shooting like crazy. He's having a really good year, broke the three-point record earlier in the season, and he is shooting lights out. He's got Klay Thompson helping him out again. Andrew Wiggins is having an all-star season. So watch for Golden State to make a good run in the postseason as well. Keeping it on the hardwood, let's talk a little NBA action. Yeah, so we are in the all-star break, so there's no games going on. Um, but we can talk about Steph Curry in the All-Star game. He scored 16 three-pointers, uh, 48 points off of those, 50 in total, and it rightfully got him All-Star game MVP. Yes, Steph Curry was the MVP, and along with his teammates LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo, their team won the All-Star game 163-160. to So, Clearly not a defensive battle, but all-star games never are. So it kind of makes you wonder how the teams got stacked that way. A few years ago, the the league was going east versus west, and then that was rather one-sided, so they started having a draft with the top two players picking the teams. And that is how these two teams were split up this year. So that was kind of the highlights from the all-star weekend they did recognize the 75 greatest nba players of all time they had michael jordan of course and many other legendary hall of famers in the building so it was a special weekend of basketball in cleveland but as far as the nba we are a little over halfway through the regular season and there's some some familiar faces on top but also some new teams um chicago and cleveland have both risen in the east they are they are second and fourth respectively and neither team has been good in a while so it's been kind of fun to see them rise with some young talent and and uh, demar derozan getting a second light of fire on his career in chicago yeah, it's kind of fun there. They've got an old veteran who's veteran who's uh, reviving his career, and some youngsters like Laurie Markkinen and Zach Levine. He's, he's a real stud. Um, uh, similar over there in Cleveland, they're led by Colin Sexton. And their big man Jared Allen is having a really good year as well. 
Um, in other teams in the East, I know that uh, Milwaukee is the defending champs. They're currently fifth, but they could easily make a run back into the finals when they're healthy. There were some recent moves. So Brooklyn was widely known as the all-star team with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. But they recently sent James Harden over to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons and a few other players as well. So it'll be interesting to see how those teams kind of reshake out. Kevin Durant is currently injured, and Kyrie Irving is currently unable to play home games because of COVID vaccine rules. It does, from the start, appear that Philadelphia won that trade with a big like Joel Embiid playing really, really well this year and adding another score to his team with James Harden. Yeah, Embiid is really looking like he has a chance at MVP, averaging double-double with about 28 points and 11 rebounds. He could be MVP and champion this year. They, They got a lot of good pieces there in Philadelphia. Yeah, other details of that trade. On the surface, it looks like it heavily favors the uh, 76ers, but the Nets also got Andre Drummond, who is a really good rebounder, averages about 10 rebound, ten boards a game, and Seth Curry, who averages about 13 points a game, plus a first-round pick in the future. Yeah. So that's kind of where the East is breaking down. In the West, uh, Phoenix made a run for the championship last year and came up just short in the finals, but they are back again this year and really, really good. Golden State Warriors, like we said, Steph Curry is shooting like crazy. He's having a really good year, broke the three-point record earlier in the season, and he is shooting lights out. He's got Klay Thompson helping him out again. Andrew Wiggins is having an all-star season, so watch for Golden State to make a good run in the postseason as well. 